0: Live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Cristagania Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 23rd, 2013. I have a few things I like to talk about before we start tonight's program. The um, that there, there, there are people who who had not made it in a long time to the Cristagania chat talk show. It, it's well, it's at least one person right now. It, it's, um, well, it's sometimes more than that. org has its own chat page. If you sign up at the main website, you'll be able to engage in the chat there, which is, um, usually pretty lively during programs. The chat at to is typically closed because of trolls. Christoginia.org's own chat page is a troll-free environment. The, um, shoot service is not necessary for Christogunia to operate programs. We have our own chat page. We have four of our, well, we have five of our own streaming internet radio stations. Ultimately, three of which will be devoted to live programs. Right now, it's four. I'm going to scale that back by one server, and that'll probably be done before the next weekend program cycle the um, top 3 servers should be sufficient to for, for us to um have several hundred listeners theoretically to have probably 60 to 90 which we usually don't get we did have that many last week at at um almost we had about 80 listeners altogether between Topshoe and Christagenia for the um Eli James Universalism program, which I, I will be talking about in a second.
1: How many downloads were there, Bill?
0: That there have been, well, well, I said I'll be talking about it in
1: a second. Oh, okay.
0: That there, there there, have been um, as many as 56 people, I think it was, listening to one Kustigenia streaming radio server. I can't monitor the quality during a program, That's a problem. I hear sometimes the quality isn't good. Sometimes it breaks up a little. Theoretically, each of my streams should support up to 128 listeners at once. I know that it doesn't work that way. I know the ISP isn't going to give me all the bandwidth that they advertise, and um, more bandwidth, you know, is expensive. And I just don't require. I don't. My demand isn't that high, so I, I would say that three servers should be plenty these programs even without talk show, which we might be looking at sooner or later right okay last week I did a program which I later a- entitled the Universalism of Eli James I did it with sword brethren who was here with me tonight. There were about three or four downloads short of 800 the first week for that program. I really pray that a lot of people that have listened to both Eli and I in the past listen to that program and realize why I had to split with Eli James when I did, because he is a universalist. And universalism, I don't care how he defines the word, universalism is the belief that God extends his grace to all the world's peoples. That's the basic definition of universalism. Eli James tries to redefine universalism with some personal definition so that he could escape the label. It's that simple. If you change the definition, perhaps you could escape the label. Like Obama is not a Marxist.
1: Shall I um, read briefly his, text, his um, quote textbook definition, his little pet definition?
0: Well, if you would like.
1: In his um, article, which is available on his website. I believe this is his article, William Fink, Race Trader. He states, quote, textbook universalism teaches that all non-whites will be turned into spiritual Israelites at the Judgment Day. I have never taught any such thing, and William Fink knows it. End quote. Well, well
0: some, of the, some Protestant churches do make boneheaded remarks like that, but that's not textbook universalism.
1: Right, that's a pet definition of universalism. Yes,
0: it is, so that he can escape the label. It, it's that simple. The man's a universalist. Christ said that Nobody gets to the Father except through me, and Christ also said that he only came for the sheep.
1: Right. And, and the goats aren't going to get turned into sheep.
0: Well, well absolutely not. And, and when, whenever we try to blur the edges and, and, and um, redefine things that Christ said explicitly, and, and that the prophets say explicitly, well, well, then we start down a slippery slope, and and we we end up mainstream Judeo-Christian universalists. I mean, there's that's the, the there's no doubt. We cannot split hairs with Scripture. You're either hot or cold. There's no wishy-washy in the middle. It it can't be the racist. You has to be perfectly clear. Christ was perfectly clear about it. Ezra and Nehemiah were perfectly clear about it. The prophets are perfectly clear about it.
1: Well, you know, um, Wikipedia has a policy. Somebody like um, Grover Furr, that professor, they don't list him as a Marxist because he's not a self-declared Marxist-Leninist. So they won't let anybody add category Marxist, and they say that the person has to be a self-confessed Marxist before they can be listed as a Marxist. And someone pointed out, well, what if some guy said Hitler was great, he believes everything Hitler believed, he believes everything Hitler taught, but he doesn't self-identify as a national socialist. They're still going to call him a white supremacist and a neo-Nazi.
0: Right? It's a dope so, standard.
1: Eli can claim he's not a universalist because he, he just because he doesn't self-identify as a universalist, though so he has all the hallmarks and all the teachings of a universalist. So it's it's a it's a right label he's earned it.
0: Well, we heard it from his own mouth last week, and I didn't want to dwell on this topic this week, also. But I just wanted to make people aware of this program. I would like as many people in Christian identity to listen to this program as possible. Right, there's a lot of people that are. Um, basically because they refuse to listen to Eli's own words on his programs, they facilitate his universalism and, and is spreading that this false doctrine and this artificial eschatology that he's developed f- throughout Christian identity, which is what his, his attempt is certainly, and, and he does that by demonizing me and by talking out of both sides of his mouth, by adjusting his speech according to the crowd that's listening to him or or who he perceives his audience to be. He's a chameleon. I have no doubt. That aside, this is the 14th installment of our series Against the Paul Bashers. Having taken a short break from this lengthy presentation, we shall now continue with our redress of the Paul Bashing articles of Clayton Douglas. Here, and, and Clayton Douglas was also a, um, a, a a candidate for Christian identity brought in and nominated by Eli James at one time. Here we will commence with where we left off in Douglas's article, The Seduction, Judeo-Christianity or Pauline Christianity. Saul of Tarsus, Paul, A Different View which Douglas wrote or, or which Douglas professed to have written, but I found out later that he really didn't write. Somebody else wrote it for him. But he published it and he took credit for it, so he should take the blame. And he published it in the December 2003 issue of his Free American News magazine. The material being presented here tonight first appeared in Clifton Heiser's Watchman's Teaching Letters, numbered 99 and 100 which were published in July and August of 2006. I had written this material the previous February. It also appears at christogini.org as part of a lengthy compilation entitled William Fink versus the Paul Bashers.
1: Does it merit mentioning that Clay Douglas worked with Eli James for about six months, supposedly learning the basics, you know, Identity 101, and he never once picked up on the idea that we speak about racial purity. And as soon as he found out about that, he split with Eli. So he was able to work with Eli for six months. And Eli didn't even drop a hint that we believe in purity and separation.
0: Well, absolutely. He, he worked with Eli James for quite some time. And in fact, it's longer than six months because Eli had made several appearances on Douglas's blog talk radio program under a pseudonym. Fred something or other. I forget the full name. And and that had been going on for quite some time. And Douglas came in and and was actually professing to be Christian identity. And when he found out that I was a racist, and then he found out that most identity Christians are racists, he started um, basically blaspheming Christian identity and blaspheming the Bible and, and threatening the do silly things like beat me up. So I, I, that, that's Douglas. Um, if you could work with Eli James and, and learn Christian identity from Eli James and then be shocked later that identity Christians are racists, if I have to use the Marxist term, which I'm not ashamed of, then um, what, what's wrong with the teaching of Eli James? Because Christian identity is is it, it does espouse the belief that Christianity, or it should, that Christianity is 100% exclusive to a certain race of people.
1: What's wrong with the teachings of Eli James, Bill? You're always begging the question.
0: Right. It, it's um it, you know racial exclusivity, the racial exclusivity of the covenants, the racial exclusivity of the promises, the fact that only the Adamic man was born from above. And the plain statement of Christ that unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. I I mean, that doesn't forebode well for for, um, the idea that we could share our blessings with non-Adamic races. No matter the reason, no matter who you believe created them, it doesn't matter. No matter what you want to think about their history, that their distinct... um, that their distinct nature as races, whether they were created by God or not, it doesn't matter. They're excluded. They're excluded from all of the promises and all of the covenants. They're excluded from the context of the entire scripture.
1: And that's a foundational belief.
0: And that's, yes, that's that's an absolute foundational belief. And if we don't have that belief and that clear message well woe to you who are lukewarm i mean if you were hot or cold I, I would that you were hot or cold but because you're lukewarm i will spew you out of my mouth i'm not going to be lukewarm i might make a lot of mistakes but lukewarm isn't going to be one of them all right reference
1: 34 clay douglas states to be an apostle of jesus christ It was necessary that one be appointed directly by Jesus Christ. The original twelve apostles received their appointment directly from him. The word apostle derives from a Greek verb that means to send. It follows that to be an apostle of Christ, Christ must have sent one. It is clear from Acts, when the eleven obtained a replacement for Judas, they understood that to qualify as an apostle, one must have been in the company of the disciples during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning at the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, Acts two fifteen. This one qualification excludes those who were strangers to the fellowship.
0: Well, well you, you know, earlier in his earlier in his article, Douglas described Paul of Tarsus as having, or or Saul, I should say, he called him at the time, having um pursued Christ and followed him and and, and watched the group and, and tried to follow Christ so that he could eventually assassinate him. So so does that make sense? He should have known them pretty good, right? Uh, <laughs> he should have known them pretty well,
1: right? And he, he, I guess he's no longer referring to Judas carry on as Icaria. Right. What was that pet name he invented?
0: Yeah, you know here Douglas asserts quite a sort. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, Harrius and Iscariot—they were two different people, right? He—he—he. He, 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 um, I guess Judas had a split personality, and Douglas was what was and, um, identifying each one of them separately, right?
1: And Emmanuel, yes, um, Yeshua Emmanuel is now Lord Jesus.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah right. His, his nomenclature changes throughout this thing. He bounces back and forth all the time. He can't make his mind up what he wants to call Christ what he
1: wants to call Paul. It, it's incredible. So there's a team of three or four rabbis writing, and each day a different rabbi takes over and writes a few paragraphs.
0: Yeah, sort of like the Septuagint translation is like that in certain areas. If you're really careful and watch the names, what where different books in one book, Canaanites are called Canaanites, and in another book, they're called Phoenicians. You know, which are they? And and at the time, sadly, most of the inhabitants of, the Phoenicia, of Phoenicia were Canaanites, but... They shouldn't have been calling them Phoenicians. It's it's the same thing when when you have multiple parties work on an article, you're, you're going to have differences in nomenclature. This was a very long article, and I'm sure that a lot of it was cut and pasted from different sources, and that's why it, that that's probably one of the reasons why that that um, that that feature is prominent. That 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 there's three or four different names for Christ used in different passages throughout the article. It, it's um. You know, Douglas here states quite authoritatively, authoritatively, I should say, that to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, it is necessary that one be appointed directly by Jesus Christ. That's what Douglas stated. And then he goes on to advocate the choice of a replacement for Judas by the 11. That's confusion, right? I mean, that, that there's a cognitive disconnect there.
1: It can't be both.
0: No, no, it can't be both. Why, why did he state that so authoritatively if, if he was going to um, basically contradict himself a couple of seconds, well, a few you, sentences later? You
1: have to be picked by Jesus, but it's okay if you're you're picked by the eleven instead.
0: I, I guess. And that's you know, that's that that's a feature of all the Paul bashing literature I've read, is that they do consistently contradict them, contradict themselves.
1: Right, but usually they spread it out so. On page one, he'll say something, and on page seven, he'll say something completely different that doesn't go along at all with page one. And they're hoping you just don't remember it. Here, they're doing it in the same paragraph, so they must really think their audience is so stupid they won't pick up on it.
0: Right. Now, now not for nothing, but I, I really believe that Peter meant well when he tried to appoint a replacement for the, for Judas Iscariot. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he thought he was fulfilling the scripture, but the words in Acts chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty six are Peter's words. They're not Christ's words. They're not. I mean, Christ didn't give those instructions for what would be an apostle. He said, many will come in my name. And they weren't all false. The lots were cast in Acts chapter 1, and they were cast... And they had to fall. If you understand the casting of lots, the lot had to fall to either Matthias or Bar- Barsabbas. And, and the apostles themselves chose these two men. And simple, what, what I'm trying to say is simply because a lot was cast and it landed for Matthias, that doesn't mean that that um, that that's the, the the will of God that Matthias was appointed to that position. What became of Matthias? Who was appointed to to replace Judas Iscariot among the twelve in Acts chapter one? What became of him? Nothing. We don't read anything of him again. Nothing became of him. It it seems to me that the folly of, of man to think that he could re, you know fill an office that that God would use it is evident right there because Matthias accomplished that. There's nothing in the early Christian writers that I've ever seen of this Matthias after this first Pentecost. He he didn't do anything. I'm not saying he was a bad guy. I don't even know what he did. So, so what's, um, he he was replaced, but it certainly wasn't, if God had, had made the appointment, he would have. Um, it, it seems to me that he should have accomplished something. The man accomplished nothing. There's not. There's no more record of him in, in the scripture. So, so I wouldn't. I, I think Peter meant well. But Peter's words, it, it's it's often um, evident in the scripture. Peter was just a man, and, and he didn't have an inside track on the will of God and the will of Christ. He had a mission to perform, and, and Christ told him in, in John chapter 21, and I'm sorry, maybe it's later on in John, Maybe, maybe it's, it's the last chapter of John, Christ um, told him that, that he would struggle to fulfill the mission. He, he told him when he, when he was young, he, he girded himself and went where he wanted to when he was old, other men were going to gird him and drag him to places where he didn't want to go. That's what Christ told him. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he told him. So, so Peter, yeah, yes, he, he was an apostle of Christ. Yes, he was with him through his entire ministry. Yes, he had the, um, the, the blessing of hearing most of the words that came from his mouth and, and of spending three and a half years with God incarnate, But which is wonderful. But Peter was also a stubborn man who often resisted the will of God and who often came up with his own plans. And that's fully evident in the Scripture. It, it's fully evident in the Scripture, and, and it's um, stated explicitly many times right up through Acts chapter 10. Everything Peter was told, he had to be told three times. He could never get it right the first time. He had to, he had to see the vision of the sheet three times to get it. That, that he should and, and basically that was just a warning him that he should talk to the Romans who were about to knock on the door in the house of Simon the Tanner where he was staying. So so Peter was, yeah, yeah, he was a an apostle and in a great position, but he his words weren't all inspired by God. He 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 was a man like the rest of us. That's very clear in scripture. And Acts chapter one isn't any different. Peter saw the office should be filled so so they appointed Matthias and, and Joshua evidently sought another way and and he went and and appointed Paul Now who w- was more instrumental a man in the hands of Yahweh the man that Peter appointed or the man that that Joshua Christ appointed
1: well we know nothing about the man Peter appointed for the most part right
0: well, well, right. He, what did he accomplish? There's nothing there.
1: Well, maybe we'll get to um, reference 40 or reference 50 or whatever it might be, and Clay Douglas will assert that Matthias was a a, a Paulite who was there to wreck the new faith, and yeah. he's been erroneously appointed.
0: Well, well the man, I, I mean, I'm sure the man, we all have our role in life, and our role in life is assigned by God, and, and we're not going to do any more or any less, than what he wants us to do. And I'm not disdaining Matthias. I mean, I'm not criticizing the man, but it's evident from later history that Paul of Tarsus was the glue that stuck stuck the gospel of Christ to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's no doubt. Now, other people may have had that gospel fall into their hands, but that's not Paul's fault. Christ foresaw that. Christ foresaw that in the parable of the net. In the parable of the net, it says that um, the kingdom of heaven is like a net when taken into the sea, pulls up every kind of fish. But that doesn't mean the bad kind are going to be kept. Only the good kind are kept. And the bad kind, they're not even thrown back in the water. They're just thrown into the ovens and burned in a fire. Of course, certain other CI pastors would, would object to that and, and want to find a place for them in the vessels that the good kind are kept in. But that's not what the Word of God says. So, so we can't blame universalism on Paul when Jesus Christ himself th- had prophesied that universalism would happen. But in the end, only the good kind of fish are kept. Only the lost sheep of the house of Israel are kept. Matthew chapter 25. Would you like to read Douglas's next argument?
1: Reference 35. Douglas states, One of these qualifications Paul could never meet, for he had never been in the company of the disciples during the ministry of Jesus. He was a stranger to them. Wait, I, I thought he tried to infiltrate them while plotting to assassinate them. Well, well right. It's like his whole story changed halfway through the article.
0: He, he didn't he, – he, you know, in the beginning, Douglas said that Paul never met Christ, right? And right. in the middle, Douglas has Paul following Christ around, isn't an it, for the Pharisees looking to assassinate him. And, and now we're back to the Paul that didn't know Christ again. So, so he, well, well, in the middle maybe he was calling him Saul, and, and maybe they're different. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, they are too they knew it, They knew him as Saul. So if he's an if he's an ancient stalker, he can't very well sit around, you know, half a mile away with binoculars and drones and surveil Christ. If he's following him around, planning to assassinate him, he's probably within 50 to 100 feet of him most times in the day.
0: Well, well, this is the kind of logic that you see when when when. But when somebody is just looking for every possible ad hominem attack to, to assault somebody with and, and to discredit somebody by, and, and, and in, in desperation doing that, it, you, um, you, you know, one lie requires that you tell a thousand and, and to cover up for the first one, and, and it just snowballs. And even the best liars, it, it eventually catches up with them, right? You, right. you can't possibly remember all of the angles you need to continue all your lies and, and to have them hold water. It's not possible.
1: Well, he's built a house of cards, basically. You remove one and the whole thing falls.
0: Absolutely. And the whole thing should. And, and you know, that, that let, let's get back to the conversation of last week, right? If you consistently quote Isaiah chapter 13 to prove that um, every man's going to go back to his own nation, when Christ returns and lives happily ever after. But 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 it's demonstrated that you never read the next two verses where it says that they will all be thrust through with the sword. Well, well that's the house of cards, and one card's removed. Everything you say should be um, re-examined and, and scrutinized because it's it's a house of cards and it's all fallen down.
1: Right. Verse 14 says they're all going to flee their own land, but it doesn't tell us that they're going to make it. And verse 15 makes it look like, no, they're not making it.
0: Well, well right. They're all, everyone that is sound will be thrust through with the sword. Right. They're not making it.
1: Everyone joined on them shall fall by the sword.
0: Yes. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, when, when you look at the, the, the professions of a man who's supposed to be a teacher, who's teaching exactly half of scripture and stopping short and not going to the next passage, well, well, that's you know that's that story is just as bad as Clay Douglas is here.
1: Well, it's basically the equivalent of a history professor on World War II, talking about America's involvement in the war and stopping at Pearl Harbor. You know, Pearl Harbor happened. America declared war on Japan. End of story. That would be doing a disservice to the students.
0: Absolutely.
1: But for a, a, a Bible pastor, a self self um, appointed Bible pastor. To stop at verse thirteen instead of carrying it on to verse fourteen and seeing what happens with these people, and it's not as though he hasn't read verse fourteen and just doesn't realize it's relevant. He's read it and realizes it undermines his message, so he can't read it. Well, well, that's you know,
0: little things like this in Douglas's article, where his story keeps changing, and, and and right, it discredits everything that Douglas has written, even if there's something good there, it discredits it and this is Douglas, that against Paul is probably not much good here, but it's all discredited. It's a shame when a man has to start lying and making misrepresentations that it ruins all of his work.
1: If he's done any good work, it ruins it. I I thought Saul, or Paul, introduced himself to the um, apostles under the name Saul after deserting the Roman army. But now he's gone back, and he was a stranger to them. This is great. But yeah, yeah, it
0: is great because it's a novel that, uh, I don't know, it would make a horrible
1: movie. <laughs> could it be much worse than the crap they're turning out these days?
0: Probably not, but I don't know. I haven't seen any of it in 30 years.
1: He was a stranger to them. Nevertheless, if he could convince the disciples that the risen Christ had appeared to him and appointed him, then it would be clear to them that this qualification had been suspended in Paul's case. In his view... This made his appointment superior to theirs because his gospel and appointment came from the risen Christ rather than from the earthly Jesus. Thus we have the story of his amazing conversion or revelation on the road to Damascus. Well, how the hell do we know what his view was? In his view, this made his appointment superior. Now he's, um, he's psychoanalyzing Paul based on the, uh, a few epistles. We don't know what his view was.
0: Well, well, not for nothing, at the end of the Gospels, the apostles received their appointments from the risen Jesus. At the end of each of the Gospels, well, well, except Mark, because it's not really completed, but at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, at the end of John, the apostles received their appointments from the risen Christ. The end of Luke runs into Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, again, the apostles receive their appointments from the risen Christ. So, so, the whole argument just falls apart right there, right? If Douglas or, or whoever wrote this, Brother Nazariah, or I think it was, if they actually read the scriptures, they wouldn't be able to make that argument. The Great Commission, it. it the Great Commission in the last chapter of, of Matthew is, is the, um, comes from the risen Christ. It doesn't come from the earthly Jesus, from, from the pre-crucifixion Jesus, as Douglas is trying to um, portray it. So, so the whole argument is false, right? Would you like to read one more paragraph? That would be... That this Paul was never accepted by the Twelve. I didn't know if you wanted to finish reading Douglas' argument.
1: Oh, okay. Paul was never accepted by the Twelve, and he resolved to go his own way, yet claiming the same, nay, superior credentials. But he needed the favor of Jerusalem and the Twelve to strengthen his ministry, and so he presented himself as having their favor and approval wherever he went. Well, if, if there was a replacement needed... Then it's not really the twelve. It would be the twelve minus Judas, and there's there's no basis for this. We have no there's no historical, secular, or biblical record that he met with the twelve and they rejected him. So this is just more. It's just, I guess, artistic license is what the the Jew behind Clay Douglas would say.
0: <laughs> this is more than it, it's. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, all of the Paul bashers
0: criticize the Road to Damascus event. They all do, and 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 the conversion of Paul from his error, and they try to um, claim that same attitude of the other eleven apostles that they would discredit Paul's uh, miraculous conversion also, but they have nothing at all to base, base to claim upon. Well, what is the base well, why does Paul well, why do Peter and John and James and, and these other apostles, who all wrote epistles, why do they need Clay Douglas 2,000 years later to show them the truth? They didn't see it, that they didn't see it for themselves. It, it, it's, it's an absurd argument for Douglas to try to um... Discredit that this conversion of Paul when the original apostles who knew Paul did not discredit it and they accepted him and, and they even commended him uh, i mean th- th- this is the biggest and, and and Graber also quoted Peter in fact Graber claimed to have gotten his his spiritual sustenance from Peter that when we covered the the graver portion of Graeber's Paul bashing material that the um, Paul was commended by Peter and and Douglas blatantly ignores
1: that fact even though Douglas quoted from that same epistle to Peter so I'm assuming that Graeber got his spiritual sustenance from Peter and his doctorate from Harvard and we'll never be able to verify either one Well, well
0: right Paul was accepted at Jerusalem. It's very clear in Scripture. Paul was accepted at Antioch, where he had actually been... um, Well, no, I'm sorry, it was Damascus, where he was actually persecuting Christians originally. And Paul was saved by Christians at Damascus when the Jews wanted his head, and that's recorded in... in, um, Acts chapter 9 verses 23 through 25 the Hel- that they were Hellenized Judeans and, and the, the AV calls them Grecians that doesn't mean that they were Greeks it means that they followed Greek customs they were Judeans that followed Greek customs and, and that they, the, the Christians at Damascus that Paul had once been persecuting what which just spelled out in, in the book of Acts they saved them. I, I mean, it, it's – Douglas just wants to deny all of these accounts, some of which come from um, Paul's con- – well, well, the fellow apostles, or, or the, the real apostles, as Douglas would put it. And, and he's, he's just ignoring their testimony concerning Paul of Tarsus so that he could create his own, to the contrary it's all dishonest. The Paul bashing the, the Paul all of the arguments of the Paul Bashers are dishonest. But this is so blatantly um dishonest. It it's I don't know how anybody followed this stuff. I mean there are people that followed this. And I hope that some of them listen to these programs.
1: Well, keep in mind if Eve can be deceived, then we're certainly prone to being deceived. Well,
0: right. But but it's um that this is that. This is that. There's no real substance to any of the arguments of the Paul bashers. Once the scriptures are taken and understood in context,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, the testimony concerning the assembly of Ephesus was was discussed here earlier. I, I'd like to remind people of it because this isn't something that's too evident in Scripture. Douglas admits in, in um, earlier in this article. That Paul of Tarsus founded the church at Ephesus. Douglas admitted that. Douglas said that. I didn't have to say it. Where Paul spent two years, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 19 from verse 10. It's clear from the account in Acts 19 that Paul did indeed found the Christian assembly at Ephesus. Bringing the Holy Spirit and the gospel of the kingdom of Yahweh to the Ephesians. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. John wrote the Revelation 30 years after Paul's death. This is, there is a plethora of evidence that, that I presented, that Clifton's presented some of it, and I pre- presented even more in, in the, the opening to the um, Revelation series, the commentary on a Revelation that I did two years ago. John wrote the Revelation 30 years after Paul of Tarsus' death. And that fact can be established in in early Christian history, in all the early Christian writings. In the message to the assembly at Ephesus, Christ scolds the Ephesians because the assembly left their
1: first love.
0: And that, that statement, that they left their first love, demands that Christ was talking about the gospel and the teachings brought to them by Paul because he founded that assembly. There's all sorts of verification of Paul's work in, in the Scripture, in the Revelation, in, in, not only in the, in, in the epistles of Peter. And Clayton Douglas really, well, well, really the Paul bashers aren't even cognizant of that. They really aren't. And, and they're just hypocrites. Because they're fighting, against the, they're fighting against what they claim to be defending. They claim to be defending the, the works of the other apostles and Christianity as the other apostles saw it. And, and the other apostles and, and, and the revelation of Christ, they're substantiating the ministry of Paul of Tarsus. So, so the Paul Bashers fail real, real, they they fail badly when they try to use the other scriptures to, to defraud Paul and, and to discredit Paul.
1: Well, they want to throw it out bit by bit and eventually they'll throw out John they have to get rid of Luke and then we'll be left with nothing and if we want to know about the life of Jesus we can consult the rabbis.
0: Well, well, that's what we see in, in the work of John Spong in the work of Jacqueline Prince, the Jew we see the agenda that these men have, that they're either Jews or they're sexual deviants or or they're civil rights advocates, or or that they really want to form Christianity in their image. And in order to form Christianity in their image, they have to discredit Christianity as it was originated. Once they discredit Christianity, then they can form a church in their own image and they can sit as pope. And they could have gay marriage and interracial marriage and, and all sorts of abominations, and they could justify them because they've discredited the scripture and they don't need it anymore. And all the Paul Bashers are feeding, the, 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 they're fueling the flames of the destruction of Christianity. Because once you get rid of Paul, you got to get rid of Luke. And then you got to get rid of two Peter. Then John can't be far behind, because they hate John.
1: What does that really leave, then?
0: Well, well it, it, it really leaves not much. Matching with Mark. That there's nowhere in Matthew or in Mark where homosexuality is condemned. You only find that you only find that in the New Testament and the writing of Paul.
1: But you can't look at Mark and then twist anything he said to support universalism because Matthew, I'm sorry, in Matthew it's clear that there is no allowance for universalism. I'm coming up under the lost sheep of the house of Israel.
0: Not once you, um, not once you read the modern interpretations of Matthew 15:24 what you have things like the um the good news bible or the living bible how about the living bible Matthew 20:15:24 i come only to help the lost sheep of the house of israel help yes and, and then they take the great commission in Matthew in the last chapter in Matthew chapter 28 i think it is and, and they say that that all, all of the nations well, they take the article out of that, and they make it all nations, and they make it apply to all the world's races. Okay? So, so I, I mean, a lot of the Paul Batchers are really Christian patriots who blame Paul for universalism. But you can find just as many statements taken out of context, they're all taken out of context, that support universalism that support the arguments of the universalists in all of the Gospels. You'll find them in all of the Gospels. You'll find them in the additional parts of Mark 16 that were added in later. You'll find them in Matthew. You'll find them in John. They abuse John 3.16. So should we discredit John because they take John 3.16 out of context, abuse it, and, and use it to promote universalism?
1: That's probably one of the most abused verses in the Bible.
0: Well, well, yeah, it is. But there are verses in Paul that are just as abused and, and just as taken out of context. They're removed from context. They're mistranslated. The, the universalists love to take advantage of the mistranslations and exploit them. And, and the Paul bashers fall for it. Would you like to move on to reference number 36?
1: Reference 36. Clay Douglas states, Paul will be the first one to set up small communal units, stabilized with a chief for each, as well as a hierarchy, a ritual, baptism, prayer, Eucharist, and a teaching. Paul became the greatest interpreter of Jesus' mission, who explained in ways that Essu Jesus himself, never did, how Essu's life fitted into a cosmic scheme of salvation and grace. So I, I guess the, the original writer's return now, and it's back to Esau.
0: Well, well, right. Yeah, You know, Douglas has already several times in this article denied that Joshua Christ was the Messiah, right? He said Christ never said he was the Messiah come to save anybody, right? <laughs> he denied that he was the Redeemer of Israel, which is foretold in so many Old Testament Prophets and in, in the New Testament, Douglas here holds the same position of the Jew, as the Jews, and so it is no wonder that he hates Paul of Tarsus so viciously that he spews page after page of lies and misconceptions about him. Christians throughout the ecumenate the ecumenate the Adamic world right assembled themselves into small communal units. And that was not an innovation of Paul's. It was a natural extension of already extant practices. Such communities were governed by elders throughout the histories of both the Hebrews and the Greeks. And and there's a lot of evidence in that in James 5.14 and 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and, And when you compare James chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 5, when you compare them to Paul's epistle of Timothy, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see that Paul didn't contrive anything new or unexpected. The, the, the idea of these small communal units, which are, are led by an appointed um, overseer and, and appointed ministers, appointed by the people that comprise the small communal unit, that idea is espoused in, in James 5 and in 1 Peter 5. So, so Douglas is trying to say that Paul innovated something that had already existed. Yet you have to be absolutely ignorant of, of not only of history but of the other scriptures to, 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 to see um, – to, to make this argument. The, um, the Christian community governed itself. Elders were elected by the assemblies. The word translated in the King James Version, ordained in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and chosen in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, that word is kyrotonio. It means to elect. That word is mistranslated. James Version of the Bible. The Anglican Church would never permit the, the local assemblies to elect their own bishops or leaders. They had to mistranslate that word. pyrotonio means to stretch out the hand, right? Why would you stretch out your hand? You would stretch out your hand to vote, right? That's how the word's used. So, so, that the local, the, the small communal units are supposed to elect their own leaders. That's what Paul advocated. And that's absolutely contrary to the way that organized churches did it later. The elders that were elected by the people appointed bishops, or, or that word comes from a Greek word which means a supervisor, and they appointed ministers. Minister comes from a Latin word that means a servant, right? And, and the Greek word means servant. If indeed they were qualified, and Paul spelled out the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Of course, John Spong would never accept them because it says that a bishop must be the husband of one wife, not the husband of one husband. <laughs> not even Paul admitted to having any direct authority over the assemblies. He,
1: he told them, uh, we would not rule over your faith. Two, it's chapter one. Obviously, the Catholic Church would have to mistranslate these because they don't want people getting the idea that they could dare to consider even electing a pope.
0: Well, well of course. The, the Catholic Church would want to rule over our faith, contrary to the word of Paul. Absolutely contrary to the word of Paul. And the Catholic Church would want to appoint their own trained and... and um, programmed bishops over the various communities of the world so that they could control them. So that they could keep up their false theology and and all of their other lies and maintain all of their other lies and use Christianity for the cash cow that they've always used it for. Paul advised the assemblies that the scripture, the law and the prophets, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 18, Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 3, over and over again. The law and the prophets and the gospel, the words of Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul said the words of Christ, those things were the authorities. Those things are our authority in how we should govern our lives. And that's what Paul advocated. The model of Christian governance, which Paul and the other apostles, James chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 5, all advocated, that model of Christian governance lasted in Christian communities until the time of Justinian. In the time of Justinian, the universal Roman church began to take form. Other Until the time of Justinian, all of the Christian assemblies were entirely autonomous. They decided for themselves what books of the Bible they were going to include in their canon and follow. That's what, that, that's what the Council of Nicaea tried to do in the time of Constantine, was decide for them. So all of that took place, all of that took shape hundreds of years after Paul of Tarsus. Paul cannot be blamed for the devices of men of later centuries. He can't be blamed for any of that. He can't be blamed for the tyranny of the popes and, and the Roman church in the Middle Ages.
1: Well, they can blame him for anything. It's just disingenuous and sincere and academically dishonest.
0: Well, well, Absolutely.
1: I'm sure they're going
0: to blame Paul for the ADL. Well, well, he may as well. I, I mean, if you're going to blame him for all of this, that um, the the rituals Paul didn't really advocate any rituals. Paul never advocated any rituals. Men perceive that as the the, the um, what what Paul says in in. 1 Corinthians chapters, I think it's in chapter 11 or chapter 14. Men perceived that as a, a ritual. Paul didn't describe it as a ritual. Paul gave communion in um, in, in the last chapters of Acts on a ship. He, he took the bread and raised it and gave thanks to God and split it amongst the, the fellow passengers. That was communion. That's the example Paul set because the church abused the words of Paul in some of his epistles and and formalized a a ritual out of something that was never supposed to be a ritual. Paul said that we should give thanks to God and, and eat and drink in memory of Christ at every meal. That's what Paul said, at every meal. And he said we should have those meals in our houses in 1 Corinthians. He said, Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in?
1: Was that because the, the Romans and the pagans <laughs> typically eat in a more communal outdoor setting?
0: No, because the, the, the Greeks the, the Greeks would have these pagan love feasts which turned often turned into drunken orgies at the at their pagan temples and Christians attempted to mimic that. And the wealthier people would stock up on food and bring it to the bring it to the Christian assembly on the Sabbath day, and and, and other poorer people would would do without. And Paul said to them, "Do you not have houses in which to eat and to drink?" In, in other words, there's no communion meal in the church. That that ritual is concocted, and and it was concocted by. the the later men who would seek to rule over our faith. It was concocted by the professional priesthood that wanted to give themselves a reason to exist. Well, when in first century Christianity, there's no such thing as a Christian priest. There's no such thing as a Christian priest in Paul's Christianity. None whatsoever. You don't see the words. I mean, I've searched for it, in the works of the, the the anti-Nicene fathers, the earliest Christian bishops up until the time of the Council of Nicaea, I've searched for the words Christian priest and can't find them. You don't find them until the 4th century. In the 4th century, when a lot of pagan priests were suddenly basically out of work, then, then Christian priests started to arise, and, and they changed the name on the temples from, well, well, well this is Combré's description, I think, and it's pretty funny, that they changed the name on the temples from, from Jupiter or Saturn, they'd, they'd make it St. Mary's or St. Joseph's. Fourth century Christian priests. No Christian priests in the 1st, 2nd, or 3rd centuries. No, nope. None of that can be blamed on polytarsis. And to do so is, is absolutely dishonest. And, and demonstrates one's ignorance of history.
1: Or maybe they know history and they're just knowingly teaching a lie.
0: I probably don't think Clay Douglas knows any history from before last week.
1: Well, whoever wrote this, Clay Douglas is just the the smiling Goyim face on this Jewish article. Well, well right. If Clay Douglas truly is a Goyim. maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Reference thirty-seven.
0: Yes, please.
1: Play Douglas states, in other words, Paul taught that Christians would enter heaven through faith, grace alone. Jesus Christ, Esau Emmanuel, had taught that Christians would be judged on their works. It is also of import that Paul Saul began to substitute the word faith for the required faithfulness, which is carefully outlined in God's laws of the Old Testament. Hence, Paul taught that Christians needed to be full of faith alone faith, trust, or reliance, a system of religious doctrines believed in, in order to enter the kingdom, contrary to both God's laws, Old Book, and Esau's teachings, New, which clearly stated that faithfulness in the commandments and other laws of God, faithfully loyal, reliable, honorable, exact, must be adhered to in order to enter into the kingdom. Faith is the belief in an idea or cause. Faithfulness is following through on that code or credo with exacting actions. So we've gone from, Paul to now Paul slash Saul we've gone from Lord Jesus to Esu and now it's Jesus Christ slash Esu Emmanuel so it looks like the second writer is back in the room
0: <laughs> well well, you know Paul was quoting Habakkuk 2-4 but when he said in Romans 1-17 um, that the just shall live by faith he was quoting the Old Testament prophets he was making an example from the Old Testament prophets. Before discussing Paul's views on faith and salvation, but which we probably should discuss, some of Douglass' own, well, further contradictions should be addressed here. Douglas has labeled God's laws the old book, and Esau, or Yahshua, or, or Jesus's, or Lord Jesus's, or whatever he wants to call him at any given time, Esu's teachings, Douglas has labeled the New, the New Testament. And he does that right here. Contrary to both God's laws, and he has in parentheses the Old Book, and Esau's teachings, the New, which clearly stated that faithfulness in the faithfulness in the commandments and other laws of God, I, I don't see that stated explicitly in the New Testament anywhere. Right? Faithfulness in the commandments? No, you don't see that in the Bible. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right. In section um, 33, in, in earlier in Douglass' article, and we addressed it in the last segment of this, of this series in, against the Paul Bashers 13, right? Douglas states that his, meaning Jesus's, writings had simply disappeared. But now he's saying that the New Testament are the teachings of Christ, right? Earlier he said that his writings had simply disappeared. So, so this is another serious conflict in in, in the Douglas storyline, right? It, it's another serious um, idiosyncrasy. It, it, it's a serious problem with the plot.
1: Well, haven't we been seeing that all along? There's continuity errors. There are just gaping holes. It doesn't make sense that Paul's a deserter from the Roman army. People want him dead, but they don't turn him in as a deserter. They just follow him and harass him. No doubt.
0: Earlier in this, um, very early in, the, in in this address of the Douglas article, we saw that Douglas claimed that the scrolls of the teachings of Esu, meaning Christ, were stolen. That that's you know this is a classic. And Douglas talked about Paul and said a class. It was a classic example of double doublethink. Something that he was taking out of context that Paul said. Douglas is, is um, the the one offering us classic examples of doublethink, right? When it suits Clayton Douglas, the teachings of Christ are missing. Elsewhere, when it suits Clayton Douglas, the teachings of Christ are in the New Testament. That's hypocrisy, right? Clayton Douglas purports to be expressing the teachings of Christ earlier in his document, where he says that Jesus warned about the danger of false prophets. And when he said that Jesus never stopped attacking the Jewish hierarchy, and Esau hadn't chosen which of his disciples was the worthiest. And they're all citations of of the New Testament. He's legitimizing it. But then on the other side of his mouth, he tells us that the teachings of Christ were missing or stolen. It's incredible.
1: Well, this is a novel.
0: Well, well, it is a novel. But but the Paul bashers follow it. it it's incredible. And, and well, and the Graver stuff. And there's some W.G. Finley yet that we have to get to, and some other things. But it, it's all a novel.
1: Well, they should at least be honest that their religious views are basically as valid as those taught by L. Ron Hubbard. And that they're they're choosing to have a comic book theology.
0: Well, well, there's an entire um, there's an entire uh, I don't know matrix. I, I don't know the correct word for it. Um, network. Let, let's call it a network of Paul bashers who claim to be identity Christians. We don't know them because they they don't really come to my programs, right? Troublemaker Russell Walker. He was one of them.
1: Hmm. Well, they're basically one-issue clowns, aren't they?
0: Well, well, a lot of them are. Uh, a lot of them are, but but some of them are... are um, well, well, some of them we would like to think are more intelligent.
1: Right, but anyone who wants to promote Ephraim Skeptor, they're an idiot, and I don't have time for them.
0: Well, well the creator of dot IsraelElect.com, IsraelElect.com was the, the most popular Christian identity website until I got out of prison. And... Um, and I'm just being honest, it's Christoginia is far more popular now. But israelelect.com was the, it sat at the top of the Alexa rankings in Christian identity websites for a long time. And it was the most visited, no doubt. And it, um, the creator, the, the the gentleman that created it is Paul Basher.
1: Right, but as far as the yeah, from Scepter, I mean, it, it says clearly in plain language, Judah has the Scepter, end of story, there's nothing to debate
0: well well right and and that's a, a separate issue and, and um they attack Paul for that too for for purporting that Christ is of the tribe of Judah but paul bashing yeah paul bashing is is um it's sad and and to me it's very unfortunate and 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 it's disappointing that that I found so many Paul bashers in christian identity. Paul was the first Christian identity teacher.
1: Right, and I think some of them are pretty well-intentioned. They think Paul's a universalist, and they just have to get rid of him, or else it wrecks the whole message. So they're, they're doing their best to get rid of him, but they don't realize they're wrong. Well, so well, there are some like Graver and Douglas. They're not well-intentioned.
0: Because Paul was actually very, very much an Israel exclusivist, and I would invite Paul bashers that, that simply think Paul is a universalist to study my translations of Paul. There's no way he was a universalist. There there are too many things that are taken out of context by by the universalists, but there are also a lot of mistranslations. I found more mistranslations, blatant mistranslations, verbs translated, nouns translated as verbs, verbs translated as nouns. In Paul, I found more of that than in in the whole rest of the scripture, in, in the whole other Three quarters of the of the New Testament when I translated it. An, an example is the word "alienated." That this you know, Christ, Paul tell, Paul tells the Ephesians that they were alienated tr- from the covenants fr- from from the um, the citizenship in the kingdom. They were alienated from it, and the King James took that verb and translated it as a noun and has Paul telling them that they were aliens. Hmm. And there's a huge difference there.
1: Between being alienated and being an alien.
0: Yes. If you were alienated, that means that you were part of something. Paul's talking to dispersed Israelites. But if you were an alien, that means you didn't have it to begin with, right? I mean, that could be interpreted in several different ways, but basically it intones that you didn't have anything to do with it to begin with. There's a huge difference there. And there's a whole bunch of things more subtle than that. Methods of, of translation which are used and, and things that are mistranslated. In, um, in, in 2 Thessalonians, I, I think it's in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says that um, the faith is not for all. And the King James says that all men have not the faith. There's a big difference there.
1: Well, if the faith is not for all, that seems to suggest there's exclusivity, and if not all men have faith, that just seems like it's, a, it's an unfortunate, temporary condition. They don't have faith, but maybe they'll have it in a month or two if they just hear the message the right way.
0: Well, well exactly. And, and the big problems with the King James translation is that the word man and the word, the verb, which means to have, they're not found in the Greek. They're not found at all in the Greek. And, and only... The word man is in italics. The verb in the King James translation is not in italics. Totally dishonest. It's a totally dishonest translation. They added two words. that They they, they made it look like they only added one, and neither of those words are in the the Greek. And the Greek clearly says the faith is not for all, which is an exclusivist statement. It tells us that Christianity is exclusive to certain people, and others it is not for. That they're excluded. The sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. In the context of the passage, that's clearly what Paul's talking about. It's there's a lot of little things that make it look like Paul is a universalist. Yes. And they're all mistranslations taken out of the context. The Paul Bashers, and, and one of the points we made early in the series, the Paul Bashers would admit that many passages are mistranslated throughout Scripture, and, and then they, they, they don't want to accept that a lot of those mistranslations are in Paul. Most of those mistranslations are in Paul. I found, a lot of, I found a lot of things in, in the Revelation, for instance, in, in the King James, that there were a lot of passages that were added later, that there were words that were added later that weren't in any of the original manuscripts, but I didn't really find any bad translations. I didn't really find any bad translations in Matthew or in Mark that, that were blatant, but, but in Paul and
1: Luke, that there were quite a few.
0: Okay, would you like to um, proceed with the second part of Reference
1: 37? 37B, Clay Douglas states, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. C, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Is the next part attached to Graber, I'm sorry, Douglas as well? Yes. I wonder though, why would he feel the need to write New Testament Ephesians two eight through nine? If you need to tell your audience that Ephesians is in the New Testament, then they're a pretty introductory audience, aren't they?
0: Well, well, if you're a Jew, you don't use the New Testament.
1: Is it possible that Paul Saul chose to infiltrate the ranks of this er, the, this early Christians? I, I guess Graver said in on this one. <laughs> <laughs> teaching a doctrine that opposed Jesus on several fronts, replacing Jesus' careful lessons with a selfish teaching of desire to gain a free gift of salvation based only on faith and completely devoid of any behavioral requirements or obedience to law. has Paul distracted us, recrafting us all into deformed idiots, fully embracing communistic humanism, to be a great magician, one must be able to present an illusion in such a way that people are not only puzzled but deeply moved. S.H. Sharp. I wonder, Paul was here infiltrating the ranks of early Christians. He was doing this earlier under the name Saul, but no one recognizes that it's the same guy. Uh, and <laughs> persecuted him, and he's a Roman deserter. So nobody says, hey, you're that guy that's been around for the last decade.
0: <laughs> decade? The book of Acts spans almost 30 years.
1: <laughs> right, so it hasn't occurred to anybody to say that, hey, I remember you from, you know, 28 A.D.
0: Right. <laughs> this, um,
1: and again quoting Jewish magicians
0: well well, yeah right Douglas is quoting another Jewish magician and, and, and he's revealing his true intellectual pursuits but claiming that Paul would have us embrace communistic humanism is uh, another obviously hypocritical act on Douglass' part since Douglas made himself a disciple of John Spong quoting all of John Spahn's work in opposition to Paul of Tarsus. And John Spahn was voted humanist for the year of 1999. And Spahn boasted about that on his website.
1: Now, Spahn is humanist of the year, and he boasts about it. And then we have creeps like Arlene Johnson, who's the international woman of the year. Well, where do these people come from? Why are they here? Well, well, you're absolutely right,
0: but, but you know, that's because Arlene Johnson was another acolyte of Eli James. She listened to Eli James for years, and, and then she promoted Negroes on her website as pen pals to white people, and those Negroes were in jail for murdering white women.
1: Right, and it never occurred to her that we value racial purity and we're not on board with her multicultural ministry message?
0: Well, like I said, she was an acolyte of Eli James. She hated me when I came along. She was a
1: follower of Eli James. But what what does that say about Eli's message, if you can follow him for years and never pick up that it's racially exclusive? It
0: it says that Eli James really isn't a Christian identity pastor. That's what it says.
1: At, at least John Spong doesn't try and claim to be Christian identity, and I don't think John Spong's even claiming to be Christian anymore. He's just a, a full blown humanist. Well, what, what? theism is dead.
0: Right. But, but the idea with John Spong, the, the reason why we have to address him is because Clayton Douglas is using him as an authority on Christianity. The man is marginally a Christian. He's not even a Christian, and, and he's a sexual deviant, and he's basically a communist. He's the communist, he's the self professed humanist. And Douglas is criticizing Paul for being a, a communistic humanist when he's using a man like John Spong to discredit Paul. That's absolutely hypocritical.
1: So why don't we just get the head of the um, Communist Party of the Soviet Union on and say, well, I'm um, sure, would you please tell us about how Paul is a communist? Uh, according to Karl Marx, Paul's no good. He's a humanist. That's very hypocritical.
0: Well, well, Douglas is is um well, well he's trying to pull off a magic trick, right? He's trying to destroy Paul of Tarsus with the utter instance of a cast of Jews, antiChrists, liberals, and sexual deviants. And, and they're a of rabble, yeah, yeah, right. They're the sort of people that he's quoted throughout his articles.
1: A motley little crew.
0: Joshua, Christ told us we would know them by their fruits.
1: Well, this almost reads like a comedy script. I couldn't make this stuff up. This is rich. I mean, we should print this out and send it to Comedy Central, although they'd probably steal and we wouldn't get any royalties. Right.
0: Now, now there's, there's more of a sleight of hand being pulled here. There's a lot of errant readings of Scripture also, right? And the Paul Bashers always try to make a, a big play on James saying faith without works is dead and Paul says oh we only need faith well well Paul also taught that we needed works right he he just taught it in a different way to James the idea of faith was separate from the idea of works or or good deeds and that's evident in in chapter 2 of James's James's epistle from verses 14 through 26 James saw faith and works as two different things right It's a philosophical difference, but in the end, it means nothing. In the end, there is no difference between Paul and James on this issue. To Paul, the idea of faith included the idea of works or good deeds.
1: Right, but it's not in a Catholic sort of point system where X, Y, Z equals salvation. It's like what James said, faith without works is dead. So if you you claim you have faith, but your works don't, Corroborate that they don't back that up. It would call your supposed faith into serious question. So if somebody claims that they're of this faith, and then, you know, they're running a brothel, they're selling porn, and they're, you know, importuning children, that would that would cause us to question their supposed faith.
0: Well, well right, because faith is faith is a belief, and, and if we want to be Christians in in more than name only, we have to act. On that belief,
1: right. The the faith should be the um. It should precipitate certain actions, certain acts.
0: Well, well right, uh, absolutely, and and James that that's why James said faith without works is dead, but Paul constantly spoke about the need and for, for for us to do and have good works, good deeds. But what happens? And, and this is another exploitation of a bad translation, okay? It's actually a very literal translation. Ergon to numu, nomu means works of work of the law. Er, ergoi to nomu means works of the law, okay? It's a very literal translation where we see works of the law in Paul's, epi- Paul's epistles. And Paul keeps telling us in his epistles that we no longer need the works of the law. Okay? And, and and they are to be put away. And and that's true. That's true, but we have to understand that the works of the law, by that Paul is referring to the sacrificial rituals. If you look at the Farrar-Fenton translation of the New Testament, there's only two translations that I know of of the New Testament that actually takes that Greek phrase, which literally means works of the law, and because of the context, and and because of what Paul is referring to by it, translates it as rituals of the law. Okay, And that's the Farrar-Fenton translation and my own translation. They're the only two I know that do that. I don't know of another that does it. But there's even a Dead Sea Scroll, which is right around the time of Tarsus. There's a Dead Sea Scroll entitled Works of the Law, which is all about the sacrificial rituals. And, and there are several places in the Septuagint where the temple rituals are described as the works of the law. So, so we could see from these contemporary witnesses that we are right in, in estimating that Paul is talking about the sacrificial rituals when he talks about the works of the law. But that has no bearing on Paul's teaching, which is entirely separate, that we indeed need to prepare ourselves to do good works and to do good works – as an expression of our faith. So, so it's Paul really had no conflict with James here. Paul says to the Ephesians, For in favor you are being preserved through faith, and this Yahweh's gift is not of yourselves, not from works, lest anyone would boast. For his work we are, having been established among the number of Christ Joshua for good works. And and where Paul first introduces the idea of works there, that we can't be saved from works, he's talking about the sacrificial rituals. He's talking about the works of the law. And, and he makes a play on words and says, For his work we are, meaning that we ourselves are the work of God, and that we should establish ourselves among the number of Christ for good works, which Yahweh prepared in order that we would walk in them. So Paul is contrasting the works of the law, which don't save us, which didn't save our ancestors, which didn't save the ancient Hebrews, and he's contrasting them to the good works that we should do for our fellow man, which would save us, which would preserve our communities and and keep us intact loving our brother. Paul had testified that he preached the faith to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, then all the region of Judea and to the nations I announced to repent and turn to Yahweh, doing deeds worthy of repentance. Faith without works is dead. There's no difference between what Paul says and what James says once we understand what Paul's saying and take it in context. Paul advised Timothy in, in his epistle to Timothy in the second chapter, likewise women in moderate attire are to adorn themselves with modesty and discretion, not in wreaths and in gold or pearls or in very expensive garments, but that which is fitting with women professing fear of God through good works. Paul says in um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the errors of some men are manifest beforehand, going ahead to judgment, but others then follow after. in like manner also, where the good works manifest, and those which are other, which are otherwise are not able to be concealed, in other words, if you've done bad things. So Douglas is just totally misrepresenting Paul. They take um Paul's talk about the sacrificial rituals, the works of the law, and try to contrast that to what James says, and that's not the context. That that's not the proper context in which to read Paul. Because Paul tells us all the time that we should perform good works. All writing of all writing inspired of God is also beneficial for teaching, for evidence, for corruption, for correction, for education, which is in righteousness, that the man of Yahweh would be perfect having prepared himself for all good works, to Timothy chapter 3. Trustworthy is this saying, and concerning these things, I wish for you to maintain strongly that those trusting in Yahweh should take care to prefer good works, Titus 3a. Again and again, Paul told the Romans in chapter 2, that they should endure in good works. He told people again and again that good works were necessary as an expression of their faith, that that was the purpose of the faith, that the purpose of the faith was that we do good things, that we do good deeds, that we perform good services for our kin, for our Christian brethren. Douglas misrepresents the teachings of Paul, taking portions of passages entirely out of context and criticizing things that he has not truly studied, nor does he understand. And that's how I find most of the Paul Bashers I've spoken to. In in fact, probably all of them. I, I just can't judge some of them because I haven't studied their words enough.
1: Well, there's really no substance to anything they have to say. it's mostly sophistry and clap crap nonsense.
0: Well, absolutely.
1: Although it, the stuff we're going over right now it seems to be a cut above Graeber.
0: Well, well, yeah, it's a little craftier than a lot of the things Graeber said, but it's still it, it's still it it's still sophistry and nonsense, right? Grace. I don't like to use that word grace in my translation, but the word charis, which is the Greek word charis, may mean grace. It also means favor, and to me, that's much more appropriate a use in the New Testament. It's much more appropriate a translation. On occasions too frequent, much too frequent to, to list, Yahweh promised salvation or preservation to the children of Israel all throughout the prophetic writings. These promises were made despite the sins committed by the children of Israel. If all those who have transgressed the law or who have failed to love their brethren were to be destroyed, Abraham could never have descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. And he may not have had any descendants at all. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were made regardless of the behavior of subsequent generations. And Yahweh must have foreseen their behavior, he being God, right? Right. The promises of preservation or salvation to Israel were made without condition. The promises to redeem Israel were to all of Israel. And so Paul says, all of Israel shall be preserved, quoting Isaiah. And his teaching is in accordance with the prophets and the parables of Christ. Israelites, who in the end have no lasting good works, are left with no reward, as Paul explains in Luke, I'm sorry, as Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And as Luke intones, well, as Christ infers in a parable, which is, reported in Luke chapter nineteen verses eleven to twenty seven. Israelites who are the sinners, Israelites who are sinners are not admitted into the kingdom as Paul teaches everywhere. We will cease to be sinners when we attain the kingdom. In contrast, the goat nations, the non Israelites are to be totally destroyed.
1: So the goats don't get judged according to their works.
0: The goats don't get judged according to their works.
1: Now, if there's a hybrid, it's a half goat, half sheep.
0: Well, well, that's um, that that falls in the all things which offend category because half goat, half sheep is not kind after kind.
1: So it's, it's not. It's not their fault. You, you can't hold them responsible.
0: Well, well, we're told in these in, in Ezekiel chapter eighteen that the children of Israel wouldn't be judged for the sins of their fathers. Is a bastard a child of Israel? How can it be? How can it be, thank you. There
1: I am, begging the question.
0: Red, yellow, black, and brown, Lake of Fire's rolling down. (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) It just blurted out I couldn't help it. Cheap or white. I can get parochial at times. I should have license to do that. The, the, um, the gold nations are, are to be totally destroyed. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 25. The tares among the wheat, that they're not judged for their behavior. They're destroyed because they're tares.
1: Right. It's nothing they've done or haven't done. Their existence of a tares is an offense.
0: Absolutely. The devil sowed them. God didn't sow them.
1: Well, that's what it says. It says they were sowed by the enemy, the wicked one, the adversary.
0: Right. They're not going to um, be thrown in a fire simply because they didn't believe. They're thrown in the fire because they're tares, because they're not wheat. They can't become wheat. You can't make a tare become a wheat. You can't make a goat become a sheep. All the goats go to the left, and all the sheep go to the right.
1: Well, I wonder, why do people think Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable? Do they think it his heart wasn't in the right place, he just didn't do the sacrifice the right way, it's unacceptable because of who Cain himself fundamentally was.
0: Well, well right, absolutely. Men have been philosophizing on, on that for since the dawn of time and, and trying to explain that, and all of those explanations fail. The only explanation is that Abel was also sacrificing, and they both couldn't be the family priest.
1: Right. And I guess some people would have us believe that God is some arbitrary jackass who said, well, they're both great, they're both Adam and Eve's kids, but I'm just not going to like this one, I'll like this one instead. Well, obviously God knew who Cain's father was. And all explanations have basically failed.
0: Well, well there's nothing in Scripture that says that the serpent was, was educating Cain for years and made him a bad person. Okay, Cain was of the wicked one because he was of an illegal union, a union which transgressed the law of God, and therefore he could never be accepted. He was challenged to do good, and and he went out immediately and killed his brother. In the next passage, Yahweh has always challenged his enemies to do good. The lesson to us is, Instead, it can't possibly ever do good.
1: How can ye, accustomed to do evil, do well? Exactly. Can a leopard
0: change his spots?
1: That the um
0: the challenge to do evil, that the challenge to do good, which is um what which Cain is confronted with. John the Baptist, again, challenges that He calls them a race of vipers, a race of serpents, and, and, and challenges them to do good, and they can't do good. Paul of Tarsus challenged Herod, and, and Herod evaded the issue and said, in brief, do you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul was challenging him based upon the law of the prophets, and Herod, the typical Jew snake, evaded the question, he evaded the challenge with a question. That They're challenged all throughout Scripture to do good, the enemies of God. They can't. And that's what we should see from that. That's the lesson that Christians should realize from those challenges, from the challenge to Cain to the challenge of, of John the Baptist that there's probably a few challenges like that in the Old Testament scriptures that I missed, That is there's the challenge of, of Paul the Herod. We should learn from those challenges that the enemies of God can't possibly ever do good.
1: Right. It's, it's more of a rhetorical challenge.
0: Right, Absolutely.
1: If you take some meat and set it on the floor in front of a cat or dog and then verbally challenge them not to eat the meat, you're just wasting your time. The meat's gone.
0: Right. Well, the mystery of the mystery of iniquity is certainly genetic. And and it's not Paul's fault that all those who failed to see that the pure pure descendants of Abraham who Isaac and Jacob were favored simply because of their genes also failed to distinguish the fate of the Israelites, good and bad, from the fate of the bastard races, among which are the Jews, and and the fate of all the non-damned races. Paul took his message only to the lost sheep of Israel to those nations which were descended from Abraham, which all of Paul's epistles demonstrate, every single one of them. He never took those, that, that message to anybody else.
1: Isn't that mean? That's not being fair. Other people have a right to hear.
0: Well, well right, but the first laws of God are kind after kind. Noah was chosen because he was perfect in his descent, perfect in his generations. Was that well, fair?
1: That, that's unfair. I mean, what, what if Noah was a, a white guy who was only 10% Edomite? Would God have excluded him?
0: Right. I, God would have absolutely excluded him. Okay, we're going to end this here, and, and, and we'll be back next week, perhaps, with um, Against the Paul Bashers, Part 15. Uh, I'm not. Maybe we'll take a break and do something else. I I don't know. I haven't decided yet. We'll probably talk about it during the week. It'll be interesting to get Thank you for listening. And praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, of course. And
1: I think what we've demonstrated once again the Paul Bashers don't have a leg to stand on. They don't have a hope and they don't have a prayer. Well, well Paul Bash- anyway. Oh, and
0: I've said several times at the beginning of the series if any Paul Bashers listen to the series that think they know something better, that think they could do better, that they're welcome to send me an email, info at org, and list their points or, or even offer to make an appearance here and we'll talk to them as long as they could do it rationally. I tried to talk to a Paul-bashing um, clown, I'll call him a clown, named Jerry Kirk at one time, who appeared on, on the Christoginnea chat server. And Jerry Kirk refused to engage in a discussion. He just tried to ram a very lengthy diatribe down my throat, and, and um, I, I, I had to boot him off the server.
1: It, well, you see, the key word there was Rational.
0: Right. The key word is rational. Or, or send me a list of points that they think, but where they think that the epistles of Paul are in error or or fail. And, and um, we'll, we'll discuss them. We'll discuss them in this broadcast. Because um, Paul of Tarsus was certainly exactly who the scripture says he was. And if it wasn't for Paul of Tarsus, we would not have... Um, I mean, Yahweh had to pick some vehicle that was successful, don't get me wrong, but Paul of Tarsus was that vehicle. If it wasn't for Paul of Tarsus, you can't identify another vehicle in the first century that brought Christianity to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.
1: Could that be why they hate him?
0: Well, well, right. And there was no epistle of Paul to the Hutus, Tutsis, Kenyans, Arabs, Egyptians, Libyans, they were already mixed. There was no epistle of Paul to any non-white peoples.
1: There was no epistle of Paul to the whites who were only 10% Canaanite. Right. It's
0: incredible. Okay, thank you for being here, Brian. Praise Yahweh. Good night. Thank you. Praise Yahweh.